The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 101, Survive and Thrive with Andrew Murata. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. What's up, Kyle? Hey, Ben, how you doing? Ah, I am good, I am good. This is episode 101 of the Beer EDU Podcast. We spent a lot of episodes with you saying zero, then the number. I know. So I that had to have been a struggle right there to I know, do that. I had to think for a minute. I had to like go one zero. Yeah. So one oh one episode of the Beer Edu podcast. I am Ben Dixon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bdixon n v and you, my friend. I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Same for Instagram. My blog AndersonEdTech.net. And then my book, To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking, found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, my publisher, Edgy Match Publishing. All of those places are fine establishments to find my book. And Ben, because this is the Beer EDU podcast, yes. we love to talk about the education. But first, we got to get into the beer. So what do you have? So I have a uh, had one in my beer fridge that I forgot I actually had this. I have like three left. It is a Firestones limited release chocolate cherry stout. So it is a it is a kind of a typical smooth chocolate stout with a hint of cherry. I think, and I'm looking right now. It's about. 5.5% ABV, no IBUs listed, but it's, you know, it's not, sometimes I think when they do beer with like, uh, like a cherry or a fruit, it overpowers. And uh, this one doesn't, it's pretty smooth. It's just, it's right in there. You can taste it, but it's not too much. Yeah, I've had, I don't know if I've had that one, but I've had some chocolate cherry stouts before that, some of them are very subtle, very nice. You're getting definitely more stout than you are the fruit. But then some of them have just an overbearing fruit yeah. flavor to it. And and with a with a lighter beer, like a cherry wheat, for example, right. it's not so bad. But when you start, like, when cherry starts overpowering, like, roasted and chocolate yeah. and coffee flavors, that's a little bit much. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's good. It's surprisingly good. I, like I said, it's one of those ones that's in there, and I'm like, oh, I, I have this. I thought I busted out, and uh, but you, my friend, you have something. Uh, you have something else. Personally, yeah, one it's my one of my favorites. Yeah, th this is one that I have not had one of these in a while, and I was looking to do something lighter today. Uh, this is the Lindemann's Frambois Raspberry Lambic. So this was something that we've talked about the Lambic before. In fact, it was back on episode 19. I looked it up because. Yep. That's going to go with our learn about here a little bit oh, later cool. on. And I believe you had a Lambic of sort on the podcast one time. Mm -hmm. I may have as well. And then I know for a fact that I think it was Kim Vogie uh, that we had on the show uh, a few months ago. She had this exact beer right. on the podcast. But it's, um, oh, it's a, it's a great beer. It's only 2.5% ABV. Mm -hmm. So you can really... Put some of these away. I would call it a lawnmower beer because I'm not sure how much I'd want to drink this sour lambic while riding yeah. a lawnmower. Um, 12 IBU, but it's tart, it's sour, it's got a lot of really great raspberry flavor to it. So uh, these are ones that they 
they ferment them with wild yeast. So you get, it's pretty consistent in the flavor, but you, you can get some different sourness and uh, other flavors when you start using the wild yeast. And then, uh, like I said, when we get into the learn about later on, we've already done the Lambic itself. We're, we're going to do a different style of the Lambic and talk about that later on. That something I thought was kind of cool uh, to take a look at here. So, but yeah, just a great beer. And um, it comes in this really awesome, like, champagne bottle looking kind of thing um if you're watching live on youtube or facebook um, you're probably not seeing it because the green screen because it is a green bottle uh but but it's like uh one of those like um 750 milliliter bottles it comes corked like you pop a cap and then there's a cork so kind of like a wine you got to pull the cork and then really highly carbonated just a really great beer and and they're not super expensive either i mean i think one of these is like six seven bucks for a 750 so No, it's it, that's a solid one, and yeah, a lambic is a good one. I think it's a lambic is a good. It's a good, like you said. I don't think it's a lawnmower beer. It's a little too tart for my, for me to like pound a bunch of them. But no, it's good. It's definitely good. But hey, if, if we have beers, and this is the beer you podcast, we also have guests. So that we do. So we have a guest that. We scheduled this one out like two months ago, actually. So, um, so I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while. And yep. uh, so, joining us today on the show is Andrew Morata. Andrew, how's it going, gentlemen? Honored to be here. Good to see you. And uh, cheers. All cheers, right. absolutely. So, Andrew. and Andrew has a beer. So, Andrew, you got to tell us what beer do you have because I, I think you got a pretty special one too. Well, I, I know you guys are educated by the beer. It seems like you have your doctorate listening to you. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about it, but, uh, you know, I'm on the JV team here. Maybe after the show I can make the watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, keep listening I to the about. I have been saving uh, uh, this for the show here. I yep. visited uh, Kerhonkson, New York. It's a small town in Sullivan County, about okay. two hours northwest of New York City. Uh, they call it the Kerhamptons, uh, uh, but this is a, a Belgian a saison. It's a grain de pover, 6.0 ABV, and uh, I like it. I like the Belgian beers. Uh, I like the wheat beers, so it's got a great great color there also, but I've uh, been saving it just for you guys. Oh, right on. Yeah, the saisons are always good. Rough cut brewery there, Kerhamptons, New York. All right. At yeah, no, we I definitely know. like our Belgian beers on yes. this show. And, I mean, well, mine, the Lindman's uh, Frambois, that, that is a Belgian beer as well. So, uh, no, no, never going on well, with that. Just that. At, at, at the time that this is dropping, my daughter will be living in New York City, right, for school. So, I will have to make, I'm planning on making trips. If my wife has her way, we're going to make many trips because she loves New York. But uh, I'm going to have to go check that let's one out. Yeah, let's do it. So awesome. Well, once again, Andrew, thank you for joining us. So let's take a moment to get to know you a little bit more. Let the listeners know who you are, what do you do, what kind of brought you into the education space to where you are now, what makes you tick. So so give us the Andrew Murata life story. <laughs> Guys, I will. sometimes I get going, a lot of Murata here, but uh, uh, thrilled to be on. I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband uh, here uh, living in Northeast Pennsylvania. I grew up in Staten Island, New York, so I am a native New Yorker. Uh, you might hear a little bit of an accent, uh, but I'm a high school principal. I, I landed in Port Jervis, New York, uh, again, about an hour and a half northwest of New York City. I've been in that community 16 years. I fell in love with it. 
Uh, it's on the Delaware River. I was telling Kyle in the pre-show, uh, you could stand on a rock and touch New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania all in one. Uh, so that's where I'm at. Uh, but I got, I got passion. I got energy. I'm into my school. I'm into my kids. Uh, I love it. I've been, I was an assistant principal there seven years, and I've been principal nine now. So uh, leadership, energy, passion, uh, all about that. In 2017, I, I wrote a book. Uh, it kind of changed my life a little bit. It's called The Principle, Surviving and Thriving. I mailed it to you guys if people in the post office are watching, and I'm so disappointed that uh, it never arrived, so we'll get it back out. Um, but that book changed my life. I started working with principles, uh, things that worked for me, points of success that I was able to share. Uh, started a podcast, wrote the book, write a blog, and uh, really now uh, I stepped away from college refereeing basketball. Uh, I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but I, I've fallen in love with helping other school leaders uh, be the best they can be, right? That surviving and thriving theme, right? We're, we all, you could do that all in one day, right? We were talking about getting back to school and all of that. Some days you're surviving, some days you're thriving and uh, hopefully leading more towards the second one. So that's what I'm trying to do right now uh, with the work that I'm doing. So before becoming a principal and the you, you mentioned college basketball officiating, which we can get into more in a little bit, uh, what was your role in education prior to that? Did you start out in elementary as an elementary teacher? Were you a subject teacher? Uh, so where did that kind of start for you? Yeah, I grew up in, in New York. Uh, my dad was a pharmacist. Uh, my brother went into chemistry. And, uh, you know, I, I was playing college basketball. I played at a small Division three school in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, Guilford College. And, you know, while I was in college, I worked summer basketball camp and working with the kids. And I was like, my God, this is great. Like, I love it. Uh, I was a science major, uh, biology major. I, you know, I was thinking pre-med. I wasn't sure what I wanted to get into. Uh, but as I worked with those kids when I was in college, I said, this is fantastic. How can I do this in the summer? And how can I do more of this? Let's teach. Let's teach science. And I became the, the, the quirky science teacher, the lab coach. <laughs> The glasses, the pencil in the ear, uh, and I loved it. I taught uh, high school in New York City, uh, and then uh, I spent a year uh, volunteering, 1999-2000. I lived in Italy, Tuscany, for a year. I didn't drink a lot of beer, but I did drink a lot of wine. <laughs> and uh, came back, worked in a middle school uh, until 2005, teaching science, and then we moved. We, My wife and I decided to move out of uh, New York City, we wanted a slower paced life, a little more calm. And I live in a town now, one traffic light. Uh, <laughs> after growing up in New York City, a little bit, a little bit different. Ooh. So I taught science, middle school and high school. And then I, I was fortunate enough to get a job uh, in New York in my neighboring town. So I'm in Pennsylvania on the border and Port Jervis, New York is, is right on the other uh, border in New York. So, uh, and I've been, I've been there ever since 16 years. Yeah, that has to be uh, quite the difference because, I mean, I've been to New York. I know how busy it is there, and I'm sure the population of the town where you're at now could fit in one apartment building that, that's in Manhattan or something like that. So quite the culture shock, I'm sure, when you uh, made that switch. I love it. I love it, Kyle, and, and the calm and the peace. I went from the city that never sleeps to the city that sleeps, you know. Uh, <laughs> But as we talked about off air, a lot of beauty up here, a lot of hiking, the yep. Delaware River. I mean, who could look out their office window and I got bald eagles nesting on, on, wow. the, uh, 
I never nice. think outside my office. So it's a beautiful part of the country. And uh, Ben, I'd love for you to come up. We'll yeah. have a beer and uh, spend some time in the city. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to 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 make it back to. I I do like New York City. I mean, I'm a West Coast guy. I love the mountains and everything. But there's something about New York that is cool. That the East Coast is is a cool place. And I'm I'm curious about your time in Tuscany. So when you were there. So you taught, did you teach at a, like a, an English language school or like, what was that like? Yeah. So great opportunity. Uh, my wife, uh, she was my high school sweetheart. She's, she's the best. Uh, you know, she said, Hey, you know, I want to marry you, but <laughs> let's, let's do something first. Right. I don't want to get a job, get married, get, get have kids. And mm-hmm. I want to do something and let's volunteer. Let's give of ourselves. Cool. So home run. I, uh, I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic. And, uh, and Augustinians, uh, mm-hmm. the, the church, uh, you know, the order of the Augustinians, uh, they run Villanova University mm-hmm. and, and some other colleges. Uh, so the, the Augustinians started a, started a volunteer program. And my wife and I were the guinea pigs, right? They wanted okay. to teach lay people the life of St. Augustine. And okay. uh, uh, I thought about being a priest back in the day, uh, but I fell in love. So, <laughs> um, so we volunteered through the Augustinians and I lived oh, cool. in an Augustinian convent uh, with priests from around the world, and she lived in London for the year. I visited wow. her once during the year. She visited me uh, once during the year during our engagement year. Most people spend wow. their engagement together. We were in uh, you know different countries uh, you know apart, but it was fantastic. I fell in love with it. I, I learned to speak Italian and, and learned you know my my my, my culture from way back right. when. I'm third, I'm third generation Italian, so I'm a long nice. But to, learn, but to learn the language, learn the food. Right. Uh, I know New York Italian, but this was Italian Italian. So I was, uh, feel very fortunate to have that experience. Wow, that's that's awesome. My daughter did a study abroad in Tuscany, and and we went and visited her. And I I I love Italy. I told my wife, I'm like, we retire or we're moving here. Yeah. I could live in a village and take the train everywhere. And you talk about the wine and the food. I could do that. Yeah. Well, you. I'm, I wonder if you visited San Gimignano is the town I visited and it's the city of towers. It's the one with okay. all the towers uh, and it's famous in Tuscany. It was it's just a beautiful area. So we lived in this little bitty town in Tuscany and the story goes, Ben, when I got there, I didn't know one person. Wow. When I left the town, like uh, they were giving me a parade happening wow. in the streets. I couldn't, I couldn't get back to the convent because I had to have a cup of coffee. I had to have a drink of wine. I had to have a cannoli. I had to have a, uh, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a great experience. I can think of worse ways to spend my life. Yeah. Wow. I know. That's pretty awesome. And and just the fact that you're like a lot, a lot of people, a lot of kids, cause you're a kid at that age. I mean, a lot of people are like, that's not kind of what they give of themselves with service. And that, I think that speaks a lot to your, your passion now as, as an educator too. That I mean, a lot of people wouldn't do that. Yeah. I think it was you know, well-rounded. And again, we are in a life of service. Um, and uh, that's just, I, I believe that's part of leadership. Uh, but we wanted to give to the church again, growing up Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we still take our kids to, to work at the pantry and uh, cool. uh, find different service projects. I think it's important that uh, we're here to help others. Awesome. Well, a little bit of service in a way, I mean, even though you were compensated, I'm sure, was uh, your time as a college official. I mean, it's not a, not exactly something that everybody can do. And it's not something I'm sure that 
even the best of the best make enough money to where they can live off of it. So they still you still got to have a full time job. But you you mentioned that you spent some time officiating basketball uh, during your years as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Kyle, a little more than spent some time. I, I, I spent twenty years as a, as a college official. Oh. Um, I loved it. It was it, I was totally into it. I played Division three college basketball, and I wasn't a star. I sat on the bench a lot. And what happens on the bench? The referee is right there. Mm-hmm. The coach is interacting with the referee. Um, I believe in the power of a single experience. I was working that basketball camp, as I told mm-hmm. you. And the director of the camp one day said, hey, Andrew, could, you know, we got this scrimmage happening. You know, could you could you referee? Referee? You know, I'm a player. What are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not a referee. I'm a player. I'm not putting on those stripes. Andrew, come on. We'll throw you 20 bucks. Can you do it? I'm like, fine. Sure. You know. Uh, I'm doing the game. All of a sudden, these two girls that collide. I'm like, ooh, that's a foul. Oh, wait a minute. That's me. You know, <laughs> and, 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 when, and I blew that whistle. I was like, whoa. And everybody stopped, and they were looking at me. It was like, oh, yeah, that's a foul. And I, it just – I never looked in that lens of the game before, and it was like, whoa. Um, and, again, I fell in love with it. Uh, I got into it. And I worked my way to the Division One level, and uh, I spent six years in the ACC. Uh, oh, referee. whoa! Uh, that's that's yeah. big time. That's big time basketball. Yeah, it was fantastic. I know you guys are out in the Mountain West country, and yeah. there, um, you know, I had an opportunity to go out there, tournaments and different things. But mm-hmm. uh, again, the, from the Colonial League to the Patriot League uh, to the Atlantic Ten, uh, you know, the, the, they were amazing experiences. But to have an opportunity to to ref in the ACC and go to some of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, it was awesome. And we talked off air a little bit. It helped me in a lot of ways in my role as a school leader too, right? right. You're in the spotlight. You're enforcing the rules. No matter the decision you make, people are going to be unhappy about you. You got to learn to talk to people in tense situations. You got to look the part. You got to know when to shut up. You got to know when to be assertive. All of those skills helped me in my role as a school leader. The other thing it did, it's stressful, right? We talked about you guys, you're, you're, you're up, you got your break there coming up. It's stressful being a school leader. It's stressful being a referee. Mm-hmm. Those things canceled each other out for me. People said, Andrew, how'd you do it? I'm looking back saying, how did I not do it? Because if I only did one, I might've drove myself crazy. But when I was on court, I wasn't thinking about maybe that problem at school. Mm-hmm. But then if I the next morning, I wasn't thinking about, oh, was that a travel at the end of the game? Was it a foul? I was moving on because I was in front of the school. And, uh, uh, you know, so so those things canceled each other out. But it was an amazing run. Uh, and, and I loved it. So, Andrew, I, you talked a little bit about like that, that transition through school leader uh, and through basketball. So you were doing this while you were teaching and then as you moved into the leadership role? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I got into Division One uh, in 2005, which actually was the year I moved. I was working Division Two okay. and Three in New York, and then I moved and I got in in, in 2005. So really, uh, for 15 years here, while I live uh, in in Pennsylvania, I did it. Um, and it was a lot of juggling. It was a lot of balancing. Uh, a lot on my wife uh, with with some young kids at home, mm-hmm. uh, but it was great. I, I had a driver. If the game was, you know, more than three or four hours away, mm-hmm. I usually stayed overnight uh, mm-hmm. at a hotel. I'd wake up the next morning and go. If it was a little bit further, but I could still drive, 
I had a driver, right? I took a half a day of school, you know, you know, six, seven hours. He drove down. I took a nap. I did my schoolwork. Boom, did the game back in the car at 930. He drove home. We got home at three, four in the morning. Sometimes if I was down in North Carolina and he drove overnight, I pulled into school at 615. I was at my desk at 645. You know what I'm saying? Yep. There we go. That's a gamer right there. Well, and I, and and I think that's, I I think you speak to something. I think that, that in education, we've talked about this is like, you've got to have something else besides this job. I mean, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an administrator, whether you're a superintendent, you got to have a thing other than this. Cause you're right. This thing, I mean, I don't care if you're a, I don't care if you're a, a, a paraprofessional in a classroom or you're a superintendent of a huge district like where Kyle is. I mean, like if you, this job is a lot. And so I think that's a, that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It's a good run. Yeah. So just kind of shifting a little bit, then you spent all this time officiating basketball and a lot of those sleepless nights and everything. So first of all, I'm sure that kids and families knew that that was kind of a side gig. I'll tell you a funny story, Kyle. There's a lot of stories. I'm actually, I started my third book. It's going to be called Tales from the Hardwood, uh, Leadership Lessons from My Time on the Court. And because uh, I, I, I literally, I wrote this book. It's full of stories. And again, I apologize you didn't get it. Uh, but I wrote this book, just things I do that as a principal, right? Mm-hmm. Stories, experiences, they're stories. And I, I, you know, I, I couldn't, 20 years as a division, uh, as a college official, you know, I, I had 80 stories before I could take a breath, just mm-hmm. thinking of things that had happened. So here's one of them. I do a game at the University of North Carolina. It's a 6 p.m. game. It's on ESPN. I do the game. And again, you don't say, well, the game's on ESPN. The game's on uh, this network or that network. You just focus on the game, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's on or whatever. You know, there's always a lot of text messages after the game. Who saw it? Who was watching? Whatever. Boom, go to the airport, get out of the arena, 8.30, go to the airport. I'm on a plane at 9.30. I land at 11.30. I drive home from Newark Airport. I'm home by 1.30, in bed. I'm up at 5, boom, boom, boom. I'm at school at 6.30 mm-hmm. on Monday morning, right? Some people know I did the game. Some people I did. I'm standing with the principal at the time. I was the assistant principal, and I didn't share my business. I never said, hey, I was at the University of North Carolina last night. You keep your mouth shut. You do your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people knew, some people didn't. This kid walks in. I love him. He's a great kid. He walks in. He's like, Murata, I, I saw you last night. I saw you on the TV. How are you here? And he opens, he opens his bag. This is true story. He opens his bag. He's like, and he pulls out a framed picture. He took a picture of me on the screen ran to Walmart, developed it, asked me to sign it, and he took the picture. He, he And the principal was watching this, like, and he was like, you were at North Carolina last night? I was like, yeah. He was like, that's unbelievable. Like, it, it was the best story, but the kid loved it. And the principal then saw that the positive impact it could have on kids. There were people that were mad that I missed school. They, they just were not, no matter what it was, you know, uh, but the the kids that followed it, the people that they 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 loved it and they wanted to talk about it, and I wanted to go to the TV announcers say, "Hey, man, give a shout out to my school, Port Jervis, New York," but I never really could do that because I couldn't 
I just it was too much of a you know struggle right. with with the time at school, so I kind of kept it quiet. But that's a story uh, again, just about the power of of that, and uh, you know, again, the magic of the travel. How did how did I always get that? <laughs> people wondered all the time. I, I honestly was waiting for the kid to come running up, not have the frame picture from the night before already. I was waiting for him to say, I saw you on TV last night. I didn't know you did that. Oh, by the way, how did you call that on so-and-so? That's what I was waiting for. That, either one of them was would have been great. <laughs> so, so, Andrew, you talked a little bit. You teased it a little bit. You have You have two books currently out you have a third one that you're working on tell us tell us about your first book how did that come about i mean that, like, what's your origin story with that yeah great question uh ben and, and kyle so happy to hear you mentioned uh edumatch publishing so i'll get to that uh but i self-published this uh again i believe the power in the single uh, of a single experience i visited dr rob gilbert guys you're educators okay i'm not making this up this is not a gimmick it's not a sales pitch get your pen and write this number down. Dr. Rob Gilbert, Montclair State University. If you're listening to this, get a pen. Dr. Rob Gilbert, 973-743-4690. 973-743-4690. The both of you are on the West Coast. When you hang up, you call that number. That's Dr. Rob Gilbert. He's been doing the success hotline since 1992. Kyle, you said earlier you graduated high school in uh, 2000. So you were uh, in uh, the, what is that, the fourth grade? Fourth or fifth grade, that would have been. So he's been doing it since then. It's a three-minute message about success. It's incredible. Dr. Rob changed my life. Long story short, I connect with Dr. Rob. He invites me to his class. He teaches sports psychology. And he wanted to talk about leadership and he wanted to talk about officiating and all of that. I did a presentation. It was a home run. We had a great time. I'm leaving. Dr. Rob hands me 10 books. Again, true story. 10 books. Power of a single experience. He said, Andrew, you were awesome. Two of those books were his. He says, where's your book? I said, Dr. Rob, I'm a high school principal. I'm a referee. I'm a father. I don't have time to go to the bathroom. What are you talking about, book? And he said, Andrew, you've got to write a book. You, you were amazing. I said, Doctor, I don't have time. He said, Yes, you do. Just you don't have to write the book. Just write down the stuff you you know that you do as a principal. So I'm on the way home, Montclair, New Jersey, right around the corner, Kyle, from uh, probably where you know you have family there. And uh, I did talk to text. I don't text and drive, but I did talk to text. I had 70 things on the way home. The next day, I had 30 more. So in less than uh, 24 hours, I had a hundred of these tips mm. and the book was born. Uh, great, great, uh, grateful to Routledge. Uh, Routledge Eye on Education picked it up. Uh, we republished it here and it, uh, it's now called The School Leader with a little bit of a wider lens. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was great. And now I'm going with uh, EduMatch. Uh, we have the partnership surviving and thriving coming out and I'll get you guys copies of that and that. That's about uh, schools and parents building a partnership together to best serve the kids. Again, stories from my experience as a principal and a father, you know, kind of best practices to serve your kid, to serve the school, you know, to have a great relationship in the school. You're the upcoming book. Uh, that That is so timely. I mean, it's it's been timely for a long time. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Sure. But 
with the events of the past year or so and just how difficult it's going to be to really get past everything as schools are starting to return, having those partnerships between the school, the community, the parents are going to be ever more important. And then in, in my school, we're talking about culture shift too and how, and luckily I, I work with a principal that knows it's not going to be an overnight thing. And she's talking like a like a three to five year plan for a culture shift. But 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 the, that book cannot be more timely because of everything going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, uh, Kyle. I agree. Uh, and I, I want to get it in educators' hands. I want to get it in parents' hands. Uh, a lot of tips in there about parents building those relationships, things that schools can do to build those relationships. And and uh, I mean, again, even as simple as having your kid charge their phone downstairs, right? Mm-hmm. You guys know those kids that they're, they're dragging in school. Well, how long were they? How how disrupted was their sleep with that phone buzzing? Mm-hmm. Those kids are waking up. Those notifications, they're put the phone away, shut it down. Those mm-hmm. kinds of tips and and you know, parents need to hear that. Parents need something, you know, because the kid has the phone upstairs. They don't know how to mm-hmm. charge the phone downstairs. It's not allowed in your room after 830 at night. End of discussion. Mm-hmm. And it's those kinds of tips that can empower parents. Again, you're, it's going to help serve your kid to do better in school. Things like that. Yeah, that's and Kyle's right. I, I think in having those for parents as we transition back. And I think we talked a little bit before the show, you're you're back. Like, how's your year been? I know as a, as a, it's it's different for everybody, but I'm curious. You know, as a high school principal, you have an added level of things. You know, credits. Kids that gotta make sure they get their credits. Kids gotta uh, make sure that they're getting. You know, graduation. Um, how do you navigate sports? That's a huge issue. I mean, what if? How's your year been? Yeah, yeah great question, Ben. We actually just kicked off uh, fall. Fall sports here in March. We have our first football game tomorrow night, Friday night lights, baby. Same here. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we never had to worry about this mud on the field, like the, the, the fields. And, you know, we're going through all of that. We're actually playing at a neutral site tomorrow on turf uh, because of that. Uh, but, Ben, my district, I'm blessed. Uh, we have been uh, fierce advocates for getting kids in school, uh, fierce, you know, pushing the limit in terms of what was allowed. We got those desks at six foot, the masks, uh, but just passionate about getting those kids back in. Uh, all, all in all, it's been as good as it can be. Uh, we have kids in. Our teachers are doing an amazing job uh, teaching hybrid, teaching online. Uh, they're, they're, they've done a great job adapting. The, the great word pivoting, you know, uh, but it has been good, um, different, right? Even just the sound. I don't have my mask here, but like, even just the sound, right? Think of a hallway in a busy high school, right? It's just everything is just, you know, it's, everything's quieter. But it's great to see now the kids uh, being outside. It's warming up here in New York again. So that allows us to be outside more. I'm sure you guys out west, right? You've, been, you've had that uh, ability to be outside, you know, almost 12 months. Uh, whereas here, it was challenging in, in January and February to you know, kids don't want to eat lunch when it's, you know, 12 degrees outside. <laughs> so uh, those things. But all in all, it's been good. Uh, there's been there's been new traditions that are starting, uh, events that we're having outdoors that people all of a sudden like, outdoor dances, outdoor graduation, smaller ceremonies. We never had a graduation parade before. 
Well, I'll tell you what, there's going to be one every year now because that thing was banging last year and our community loved it. We never thought about having a graduation parade, but it happened. It was awesome. Yeah, the I, I can't speak too much to what you're saying because I've been full distance all year. And as we're recording this, we're finally going back into a hybrid. And there's still a lot of questions in the air about how different things are going to happen. You know, we're talking about the sports are coming back, but a lot of the sports are just going to be really just practice for a few weeks. I, I don't think they're going to be doing football games where I'm at. I'm, I'm not sure how that's working with you, Ben. Uh, but, you know, and then spring sports for the most part are on. But now instead of a eight to ten week season, we're talking about a three week season. But at least we've turned a corner of sorts mm -hmm. to getting back to some sort of sense of normalcy and getting the kids what high school is really all about. You know, uh, it, it's obviously not the same as what it was before, but, mm -hmm. you know, getting kids back in the school where they can be amongst one another, distanced with masks on still. But, I mean... They, they've been sitting at home for the last eight months to a year, depending on where you're at. And sometimes they're alone. Sometimes they're taking care of little brothers and sisters. Sometimes they're not there because they're working to help keep their families afloat and whatnot. So, I mean, I mean, at least that's starting to happen at this point. So, and as a former football player, college football player myself, just to hear that your school is going to be playing that that's awesome um i do it does uh make me die a little inside though they don't get to play in the mud because man those games were fun <laughs> getting yeah. a roll in the mud and everything but i know it, it destroys the field and then it costs money to fix that but sure boy those, those games were fun games in the mud and games in the snow were always always a good time yeah sure. but I, and we're out up here so in reno where i'm at uh we are same as you andrew we're doing a, a shortened season they're going to probably play four games um of football and then um i know baseball's on basketball's on you know with like you said with a modified schedule um but i think that was the thing i think for a lot of kids last year last year never last year just ended it just didn't there was no closure it was like even though you know my school's a k-5 so my fifth graders move on to a to a junior high middle school we did something for them, but it wasn't the same. And, you know, and I, I feel for those kids that graduated their height, their senior year last year, where they're just like, this is it. I mean, you know, that's, I, I think it's great that we're, we're moving slowly back into whatever normal is going to look like. It's never going to look like it used to. I can tell you that. And guys, you know, Kyle, I hear you, you say, Ben, we don't ask the question, can we do it? We ask the question, how can we do it? Because if you just say, well, can we do it, right? And if it, you wanted it to look like it was, the answer is probably no. But how can you do it? So even the little thing about my, my, my football team, the measure here in New York is 15 minutes or more within six foot. And if you have that, you're in a quarantine situation if someone were to test positive. Right. Well, my coaches are not making any greater uh, activities more than 10 minutes. Every activity is rotating at least 10 minutes where kids are not going to be within that 15 minutes and they're shaking it up. So those things are happening. So even that little thing, you run practice normally this way, but well, now we're going to do it this way to make sure we can have something. So it's not, can we do it? The question is, how can we do it? And our mindset is we're going to do everything we can for these kids until it's, until, until it's impossible that we, we can't do that, you know? 
but great things have come from it. Yeah, with football, I'm thinking how practice was when I was a player and then I coached for several years as well. You always did the stretching, individual stretching beginning where you lined up, you did stretches for 10, 20 minutes, whatever it may be. Then you went into your drills throughout the rest of practice. There is no such thing as too much stretching. So you go do your uh, you go do your drills for 10 minutes. Guess what? Guys, line back up. We're going to do a little bit more stretching. So Because there's no such thing as too much stretching. So that's going to cut down on injuries. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. Well, and the kids, are, the kids are out of shape. I mean, you know, we uh, unfortunately it was there was a death in our county on the field. The kid, uh, you know, collapsed and, and died. You know, that is going to be something that we're going to see uh, injuries and such uh, with kids just not being prepared to play because they've been sitting around so much. You know, yeah, that that's was, a, was yeah. that's a real fear I know with coaches up here. Is is some of them are like. Even with a four-game schedule and a shortened practice, it, it's the fear of injury. But I, I think back to something that you said, Andrew, it's it's not about can we, it's about how are we going to do this. And I, yeah. I think, do you see that? So it's not just in athletics. I mean, what are some of the things, like, are you seeing your staff get more creative with the way they're they're teaching, the way they're they're engaging their students? Oh, Ben, we could have a whole separate show on that. Again, I, I, I kudos to, to the educators, to the teachers out there. Uh, incredible. Um, student voice is, is greater now more than ever. Think about how you used to ask a question in a classroom, right? Oh, you know, what is the square root of, uh, you know, uh, Ben Dixon, uh, Nevada? You know what? And two or three kids might raise their hand. Two or other three kids might be petrified. Other kids are not raising hands. So you got three kids raising. Now, what's the square root of Ben Dixon, Nevada? Guys, put it in the chat. Let's go. Everybody, come on. Already? We're going to do it. Uh, a countdown from five, four, three, two, one. Boom. Everyone's in the chat. We're going to do a Mentimeter. Let's go. I know there's 16 people in the class. I need 16 answers. Everybody, let's go. Everyone has a voice now without and without the fear of being wrong. You put a wrong answer up there. Number one, nobody knows it's yours. Number two, it's okay because there's probably multiple wrong answers. Who are those kids? Those are the kids that didn't raise their hand. So those opportunities are there. How many Google Forms have you taken? How many surveys that you get to have a voice now? Whereas before, we weren't reaching all of those things, right? What is one of the things that came out of this, guys? I saw some of your shows here was based on climate and equity, uh, equity issues. We are reaching them by allowing more access uh, to things. Uh, scholarships. We're doing scholarships at my school. The kids that came to the guidance office, the kids that were here. the kids. Now, we mailed them out this year. We never did that before. We mailed out all of the scholarships so everybody has them because there's kids that aren't coming into school. So, I think some of those things are going to stick. Uh, I love uh, student choice, student autonomy, a little bit of student freedom, right? You, you let those kids, here's the assignment. You guys got 15 minutes. I'll see you back on the meet here at 8.50. Boom, mm -hmm. right? Those things never happened before. And, uh, you know, I think some of those things are good for kids, good for education. Well, and I, I think that's, that speaks to that transition that high school makes to college. You think about it, regardless if you're, and it's not even about college. It's a, if you're going to college, you're going to, to, to a job. I mean, you, the self-motivation, that's the big one. You gotta, you gotta be able to, 
Your boss is not going to stand right over you every five minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where do you see the fall? Or let me rephrase. What do you see the fall looking like now that things are starting to shift a little bit, but there's still the dangers out there and, and restrictions. So what, what do you see come fall a few months yeah. from now? Great, great question, Kyle. While we're recording this, it's March, right, of, uh, of 20, uh, you know, 2021. I, I, we got to ask the questions now. Now is the time to ask the questions. What are the things that you miss the most? What are the things that you need? Um, what are the things that are working for you? There are going to be kids that want to stay online, right? You mentioned it. They're working. They're self-motivated. They're able to do that. They never had that choice. Is that choice still going to be there? It's not good for every kid. It's good for some. Some like that. Some like to be in their own space. No one's judging their sneakers. No one's judging their uh, uh, their weight. No one's. Uh, there, there's no intimidation. The kid can participate. It works for some, so there should be an avenue there. Uh, I think it's going to look different, Kyle. Um, I think us as educators, us as adults, uh, are looking at a wider lens. And I love the try method. My brother is uh, lives in Long Island. He's a lot of Murata. Um, I, I interviewed him on my podcast, and he's a fancy chemist at Estee Lauder. And, you know, chemistry, right? You, you, science, exact, you know, calculations, all of that. He said, Andrew, we use the try method here. And I thought he was going to start talking about triglycerides and try this. And whatever. He said, we try this and we try that until we find something that works. In baseball, if you do that and you get three out of 10, you're an all-star. Well, in chemistry, if you get one out of 10 and it's a hit, you have a multi-million dollar product. And that's the world he lives in. So if a chemist can say that, we're going to do the try method. Us as educators... We're doing that too. We tried Mentimeter. We tried uh, Google EDU. We tried uh, breakout boxes. We tried, uh, 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 you know, uh, Flipgrid, whatever it was. And people are you know, using those different tools where maybe as before, they didn't need to try it. Well, you had to try this just to survive. Uh, and people are doing that. So I think a lot of those are going to stick, Kyle. But I think it's important that we continue to ask questions. I think we continue to ask parents. What do you need? What what can we support you with? What did you like about this? Uh, and then we, we go from there. Uh, so I think it's important that we ask the question there. I love the analogy with baseball and then your brother's uh, position as a chemist because I feel that in education so many times we're expected as teachers, as students to be perfect all the time and that's just not realistic. And the three of us, we've all been in places before, whether it's a school or a district, where they come out one year and say, here's this new initiative, we're going to do this. And there's pushback you know, at first, but then eventually you start to get used to it. And then because it didn't work quick enough, oh, we're just going to go to something else now. Mm -hmm. And I feel that this year, at least in my opinion, I feel that maybe we're going to turn a corner with that, where rather than just bouncing between initiatives, Every year, we're going to say, you know what? This past year, we, we tried all sorts of different stuff. Some stuff worked, some stuff didn't. Maybe we'll have a little bit more patience and grace with the, trying those things and different initiatives as time goes on. But, I mean, I'm not I'm not a mind reader. I'm not – I can't predict the future. But I just – I think we might be able to start seeing that in the well, coming months and years. 
your book, uh, Carl, talked about taking risks, right? Risks you took in your life. You know, teachers taking risks, trying things and not being afraid to fail, being supported by their administrators. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned the tribe method, right? I love that. But I also love the five SWs. If you're listening at home, grab your pen again. Uh, this is something that's helped me. Dr. Rob Gilbert, sports psychologist. Sometimes it will. Sometimes it won't. So what? Someone's waiting. Stick with it. The five SWs, right? So some of those things are going to work and some of them aren't. Mm -hmm. So what? Like you got to keep going. There's another kid. There's another year. There's another class. There's another parent. Stick with it. Someone's waiting. And I think those those help me keep going, right? We talked about surviving and thriving, guys. Those mm -hmm. things help me keep going, right? Some people bury themselves. They don't forgive themselves. They're hard on themselves. You know what? We all make mistakes. If I, When I was refereeing, here's another refereeing point. When I was refereeing, and if I kicked the call, I knew it, but everybody in the arena knew it. If I couldn't get past that mistake, I was done. The guy was, I was, I got to get the next call right. Mm -hmm. Right. It'll get worse. It'll compound it. You know, they'll forgive you. You get the next one. Right. How many times, right. The ref, you know, the ref's going in the tank. They finally get an easy foul. Right. What, what does the crowd do? Yeah. They call, oh, yeah. We finally got one. Right. Well, you, you got to get the next one. Right. So someone's waiting. Stick with it. I love the five SW. That I love that because I, I do think this year, and we've talked a lot about like on the on the show, like what are good. There are a lot of good things I feel are coming out of this year, and not yeah. just in education. I, I think I think people taking a step back, relaxing somewhat. I mean, I think in schools, like you both are saying, it's like this fear of of always having to have everything perfect or be perfect. I can't tell you how many things I've seen teachers try and they're like, I don't think it's going to work. And I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. Just do it. I mean, and I've told people, no kid is not going to Harvard because of this year. Everybody relax. It's going to be okay. And so I th I'm hoping that we kind of keep some of that as we, as whatever the future looks like. Um, but I kind of want to, Andrew, you teased something a little bit. Uh, you talked about your podcast. So I'm super interested in like, like, tell us about that, kind of how that weaves into your story and, and what that looks like. Well, I've, I've never drank beer on the podcast, but you know, there's a first for everything. <laughs> Well, I and I definitely want to have you guys on. Uh, oh, sure. great conversation. I feel comfortable. I hope you didn't break something there, Ben. Yeah, um, you guys do a nice job. Uh, you know, this is a great conversation. So I de definitely want to uh, uh, have you guys on. But it's it's called Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Um, I interview uh, principals. I interview teachers. I interview CEOs, doctors, lawyers, my brother, chemist. Um, you know, today uh, I had... Uh, um, a CEO of a sunglass company on there, Rio Sunglasses. Uh, you know, there's leadership everywhere. And uh, I think there's a lot to offer. I love learning from people. I love sharing their messages. And like, just like you guys are doing, you're meeting tremendous educators. I love Craig Randall you had on there, uh, Trust-Based Observations. You guys have had awesome people on, you know, uh, knowing I'm a, a 101 on your list. Hey, man, I almost made the top 100. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're the start of the next. You're the beginning. You're the first of the next 100. That's what number it is. One, right there, you're number one. Number one. <laughs> hey, here's a funny refereeing story. 
I did Coach K's game where he tied the all-time winningest record uh, in college basketball. I remember. Oh, wow. So I I was so nervous, guys. Here's a funny story. I was so nervous. It was my first game in the ACC. It was my first game at Duke. It was unbelievable. The place was packed. It was ESPN. I kicked the toss. The toss, right? You're supposed to go nice and straight. The toss looked like a – oh, my God. It looked like – it was like – you know, Coach K jumps up within seconds and starts yelling. All of my friends, all of my buddies, they all say, Andrew, the guys won 902 games, and you pissed them off in two seconds. <laughs> Coach oh, K awesome. grabs me. He grabs me later in the game. He says, Andrew, you're doing okay, but that talk was the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, true story. And that's not even something that you can do. Like like in hockey, if it's a bad drop, they'll blow the whistle and say, hey, not fair, let's do this again. You don't get a redo in basketball. It's just done. You know what, Kyle? They didn't want to do it because the second one probably would have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's that's a little bit of pressure right there. That that right there is Coach that Coach K is straight up a le- a legend. I mean, yeah. if people listen to the show don't know college basketball, every, people know who Coach K is. Sure. Well, and again, here's another little tidbit. Uh, Coach K has a podcast called uh, Basketball and Beyond. It might sound a little bit about uh, kind of like education, leadership, and beyond. I don't know who got the name first, but uh, you know, <laughs> you do the math. Well, we'll tell everyone that uh, Coach K is copying you. So <laughs> you knew you had something with that toss, man. After that, oh man, you know there was. I and again, the stories came out. Uh, you know, so many stories. I can't wait to write that book. I developed a workshop for it. Um, you know, a keynote. Right, and people love the referee stories. Here's another one, guys. I'd love to share. Okay, uh, this this is this is a podcast for educators, right? Think about those first and second year teachers in your school, first and second year administrators. They're a little nervous. They're a little uncomfortable. They don't know their way around. It's no different in refereeing, guys, and especially at that level. Though that you know, you're going into an arena with twenty thousand people. Uh, I remember doing some junior college games. I'm banging on the outside of the door. Like, I couldn't even get in the gym. They didn't even know there was a game. And now I'm going to these places. It was unbelievable, you know? So, again, here's another first. Um, It's my first time at the University of North Carolina. A little bit of a famous basketball school. Uh, Huge arena, you know, huge game, huge, huge spot. So I am trying to project confidence. I am trying to project calm. And, again, you, you know, the look, right? It's important. So I'm, I'm standing there. You got to be out there 20 minutes before the game. Generally, the guys know each other. Uh, ben and Kyle, you have a great rapport, right? You guys enjoy talking to each other. No different with referees. So generally, if the guys are friends, they're talking a little bit. I was brand new. I didn't know these guys so well, mm-hmm. and I've been to so many games, right? So the, the two people that know each other, they're chit chatting a little bit. And here's the newbie, and he's a little nervous. He's a little uncomfortable, right? So that happened a lot, that the two guys are just chit-chatting, right? Well, I'm at the University of North Carolina. The two referees know each other. They're friends. They're they're BSing in the locker room a little bit. It's light. We're talking. And now it's game time. So we walk out. 
I was expecting the head referee to, again, be talking to his buddy while we're out on the court. What did he do? He stood right next to me the whole time, almost touching my shoulder. I'm watching the visitors. That's my job. I'm watching, you know, making sure everything is good, you know, and um, he stands there, doesn't say much, doesn't, you know, we're just standing, but right next to me, inches away from me, we're, we're standing here, Get, almost time to go shake uh, hands. He says, hey, kid, how do you feel? I said, I'm ready to go. He said, good, let's go. Lead us in there, you know, and then he said, you belong here, kid. You're going to do a great, great job. And we went in and that's all he said. But he stood he stood next to me for 15 minutes, calmed me down, felt supported, felt like, OK, you know, I mean, maybe I had cologne on the guy like my, you know, but, <laughs> but again, I remember that. So the, the, the point is, and these are the stories I'm going to tell in the book. These are the stories I tell in my workshop. You got to support that other teacher. Maybe they yeah, they need a formal mentoring session. But maybe they need a, a walk at lunchtime. Maybe they just, hey, man, let's have lunch, right? Maybe just sit next to them in the auditorium because they're the kid sitting down in the front, right? They don't want to sit way in the back. They don't want to sit. They're sitting down in the front. No one sits near them. They're not, you know, go sit next to that young teacher. How you doing? Tell me about yourself. Have you heard of the Beer EDU podcast? You know, um, make that person feel comfortable. I never forgot what that guy did for me. I told him years later. And who did I referee with seven, eight, nine years later? His son. And what do you think I tried to do for his son? The same thing, right? So it goes around. And I told his son what his dad did for me. And uh, so those are the lessons, some of the things I learned. Uh, So now I take that with me as an experienced administrator. I try to mentor young young, uh, principals. I try to mentor young teachers you know when they're a little nervous, right? Mm-hmm. So I try to do those things to help out. So that's another example of one of those stories. I talked about in my book about the end of my first week as a as a teacher, three weeks removed from moving from Michigan to Nevada, a uh, town of 10,000 to a city of 2 million. So, you know, you talk about moving from the Big Apple to your town now. I was the opposite. I went from small town to big town, but I still remember end of the day i'm getting ready to leave and ricky moss is her name comes to my room teaching she'd been teaching for 20 years comes to my room and says hey there's a few of us going over to the uh, bar down the street why don't you come and ricky became a really great friend of mine all because she was just there to look out for me and figure out what was going on after that first week of teaching and uh, i mean here we are uh 16 17 years later and i still remember that just like you're talking with uh your officiating colleague there so you know those those things that happen they matter and they need to happen more often yeah uh, out there awesome Kyle. and you know what you don't need a license you don't need you don't need training for that you don't need certification you need you need uh you know personal personal skills that you need the empathy you need to uh, as my wife says read the room right here's this guy from michigan he doesn't know anybody come, come join us right uh and, and those things yeah they need to happen well, Andrew, where can uh, the listeners connect with you on the socials and places where they can find your books and, and get copies of those? And you mentioned workshops as well. So ways that they can connect with you regarding a potential workshop. Yeah, love it, uh, Kyle. Uh, uh There's a, a lot of stuff on there. I do a, 
uh, a quick one minute uh, little talk called Leadership Sparks. I do the podcast. I do a blog called uh, EDU uh, um, ELB blog, and uh, I love it. I love telling these stories. Uh, I've developed workshops around these experiences. You know, I have the school leader surviving and thriving. Uh, again, the, the one on refereeing, the one on the partnership, and they're just experiences, right? So I've loved uh, telling those stories. I'm on Twitter at Andrew Murata 21. Um, and then again, my email is on my website, Andrew Murata, uh, LLC at gmail.com. Um, but these books are coming out. Uh, and, I, you know, guys, you write, you're, you're doing this. Uh, I want to offer to you, I, I love to have guest bloggers too, right? People have a message. People have a story. They might think, who wants to hear that? You know what? There are people that want to hear that. There are people that need that story. There are people that need that encouragement. And I never knew that. When you're reffing, right, here's something I learned and one of the reasons I stepped away. I wanted to do a great job refereeing, right? And not too many people noticed when you did do a good job, right? When you did a good job, they didn't notice you at all. Now uh, I've learned that my experiences can help other administrators. And uh, I was not helping people as a referee. We talked about service before, right? Volunteering and that experience of doing that. I grew up with my dad doing the food pantry in Staten Island, um, uh, you know, serving, uh, you know, the, the, the unfortunate and, and the, uh, you know, folks in that community. Um, I, I, I love the refin. I wasn't impacting people's lives. You know, us as educators, we, have, we, we can impact people's lives. Dr. Gilbert changed my life. You could say something, Ben, uh, Kyle, tomorrow at school that can change someone's life. We, we're, we're superheroes. So that's serious to me. I'm into that. And uh, I, I think it's important that uh, I can help other principals get to the best that they can be. So I, I'm into that, uh, the surviving and thriving theme. So I'd love to come to your district. I'd love to come to uh, Nevada to present to the principals. And uh, I'm enjoying the, the speaking. Uh, people love the stories. I never knew it. I grew up in a big Italian family in New York. That's all they did, right? That's all the, all the holidays were about were the stories. Well, now those stories are being put into action as leadership lessons. And, I, and I've fallen in love with it. Wow. So I, I looked at the clock and uh, we've been at this for almost an hour. Ooh. And I, I say, Ben and I, I feel like we're doing this almost every episode now where you know it's a good conversation when you look up and you realize you've been at it for an hour and it just yeah. feels like it just went by. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to speak for Ben here. I'm taking the yeah. executive that's going to say this has been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been Andrew, I, your stories are great. I think I think what you're doing is amazing, and and just just that, I, I think it's so great to see that connection between that that world of, of college officiating and, and the things you've done, and and how that transfers into uh, into the educational leadership role. Cool, guys. You got time for one more story? Of course. I've always got time for stories. Yeah. Let's hear it. You got one more story. Uh, again, we talked a lot today, and it was been an honor to be on with you guys. I feel like I'm talking to guys that I've known for years. Uh, you guys do a great job, and uh, Thank the, you. Fact that we, that, the fact that we can have a beer on the show, come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, cheers. And uh, so, 
uh, and we can we can end with this story and, and it means a lot to me it's a personal story it's a true story it's a real story but uh we, there's a lot of passion in education right we all want to be su- uh, successful but i would challenge you guys i would challenge our listeners uh anybody out there yeah you want to be successful but the real goal is to have a significant impact on the lives of those we serve so here's a, a real quick story it's a true story 2008 um i do the new york city marathon with my dad fast you know, go back a couple of years earlier uh, my dad uh, is my hero my dad is, is my guy um uh, lost his vision uh colon cancer survivor and a kidney transplant recipient my brother uh paul Murata gave him a kidney so he'd been through a lot and if you watch Forrest Gump, my dad was like Forrest Gump, got off the porch and just started walking. Blind, not in shape, uh, but he wanted to get in shape in honor of my brother's kidney, right? To extend his life and honor that kidney. So he's walking. Here's this blind guy walking around New York City like Mr. Magoo. He's going to get hit by a car. Like, what are you doing? Like, are you kidding me? And uh, he says one day, well, I want to do the marathon. Yeah, are you crazy? Do you know how long that is? Like, are you kidding me? So he says, I'm going to do the marathon. Uh, Achilles uh, organization, they help handicapped runners. It's a great organization. You want to donate money to somebody, donate it to Achilles. Uh, My dad does the marathon in 2006, 2007, and 2008. In 2008, we have a videographer with us. Write it down, guys. Mr. Joe, uh, Joe Murata Marathon. Uh, YouTube, Joe Murata Marathon. There's a nine and a half minute video. Uh, we had a videographer with us and uh, I'm fortunate to have that day in my life. And uh, we do the marathon. And on that day, uh, every year, my dad wanted to get better with his time. Well, on this day, he, he just something wasn't right. He said, guys, let's, let's slow down a little bit. I just, I just want to make sure we finish. Let's slow down. Let's take a break. Let's slow down. Every other year, he wanted to go faster and faster. Well, we finished the New York City Marathon. We're walking. We're not running. We're walking, uh, you know, nine plus hours. And uh, uh, I leave New York City. Uh, I, I drive home two hours and I get a call that uh, my dad passed away. And then, uh, uh, so I drive back. So I just did a New York City Marathon. I drove home two hours. I drive back. I get to see my dad passed away, but I get to touch his face. He was a big Italian and he. And he did like this with the hands. Kyle, if he mentioned, he grabbed that beard, right? He'd say, hey. Uh, and, but I got to hug him and touch him. And um, it was a rough loss for my family. Uh, so that was on a Sunday. I was out of school the whole week, guys. I was out the whole week. A big picture what a big Italian wake and funeral looks like. It was all of that. The music, the food, the wine. And then it was like a... You know, you could have filmed five Godfather movies in it. The whole week, I'm out. I am drained. The weekend comes, right? My father passed away on a Sunday. I'm out of school the whole week. Sunday night, I'm empty. I can't go to school. I can't wake up Monday morning. I can't go to school. I'm out again on Monday. Six days of school I miss as the assistant principal. It was rough. I get to bed. I I say, I'm going to get to school the next day. Right, so now it's Tuesday. My dad died on a Sunday. All, all next week, not the next, but all next week, I go back to school. Seventy-seven voicemails. I get there at six thirty in the morning. Who is the first message on there, guys? It's my school superintendent. 
My dad, Sunday the marathon, Monday morning, 6.30 in the morning. Hey, Andrew, it's John Exantis. Just calling to say hello. I know you did the marathon yesterday with your dad. I know how important your dad is to you. I know how important the marathon is to you. How did it go? I can't wait to hear about it. That's the first message I got. Clearly, he didn't know my dad had passed away. But on Monday morning, the superintendent of schools, the first thing he did was ask me about the marathon. He knew it was important. He knew I was doing it. He knew my dad and I had a great relationship. He made that call. I I, 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 I can't. Here I am, guys, 13 years later talking about it. It left such an impact. It was such a simple act of a simple phone call. But he knew about it. He did it. And he, that he, it was important to him. He's a superintendent. He had probably 100 things to do. But that was the first thing he did. So I tell that story. Number one, I want you to go watch that clip with your family, with a loved one, and hug them because life is short. Number two, I tell that story because he, he knew that that was important to me. And he acknowledged it. And he made that call. It's not about being successful significant impact on the lives of of others. Do you think that little act had a significant impact on me 13 Mm -hmm. years later that I'm telling you guys this story? It absolutely did. And it was a 10 second phone call. So I challenge educators, I challenge administrators, I challenge you to make that call, write that card, reach out to that person that got COVID, Send that extra thank you note. Send that little appreciation note because it means a lot. You you can be successful, but your goal should be to be significant in the lives of those we serve. I tell stories. I'm sorry that one was a little wow. long. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, so so now that's the first. It's like seriously makes me tear up because damn, I don't even know what to say. I'm yep. close with my old man, and that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's all I got. No, uh, wow. Yeah, a, a week ago, my parents they they were here visiting me because they they had moved to California a few years ago and they packed up and were moving back to Michigan. They came through Las Vegas to see my wife and kids and I. And uh, you know, as, as we were saying our goodbyes, I teared up a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I don't normally do something like that, you know. But now knowing that my parents are a four hour flight away versus a 10 hour drive, you know, just a big difference. And, uh, you know, for the, for those that may be watching this on the live YouTube or whatever, yeah, I was definitely wiping my face a little bit there. So I, I thank you for sharing that story. That's, um, that's powerful. That was beautiful. Well, I thank you guys for letting me tell it. It would be an honor if you watched the, uh, the clip. It's nine and a half minutes. Uh, I always say as an Italian, you need a glass of red wine, but if you want to have it with a beer, Uh, it, it means a lot to me if you leave a comment. My mom still looks at the comments uh, here and there. Uh, but there's a significant impact, right? My dad finished that marathon. We think he knew he was having a heart attack. We wow. think he knew. Um, but he always, you know, you finish what you start, right, Ben? You know? Yeah. That's... But that story, my superintendent, it's a simple act, guys, but it can touch the hearts and lives of people. Dr. Rob Gilbert, Andrew, you can write that book. Look, here I am, guys. Three books later, I'm a speaker uh, and presenter. I'd probably still be reffing games. Mm. I'd probably still be reffing games. But a single impact, and that's the power of a single experience. So we have that ability every day to be an educator and touch the 
the hearts and lives of the kids, the uh, teachers, and those parents, right? And that's another thing with that next book, that partnership. I can't wait to to really get with the parents uh, on that. So I, uh, I appreciate you allowing me to share that story, guys. Absolutely. So listeners, let's keep this conversation going. Share some of your thoughts on today's topics by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. Tweet us using hashtag beeredupod at beeredupod, and then hit us up on Facebook at beeredupodcast. It's all one word. Uh, we stream the episodes live as we record them there. Uh, same with our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to at bit.ly slash YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram at beeredupod. Make sure you're following Andrew at andrewmarada21 on Twitter. Send us a voice message on the Anchor app. Leave us a review wherever you listen or can find the podcast that way. And Ben, if people want to be on the show like Andrew, what do they do? Yeah, so all you got to do is check out our webpage, go to beeredupodcast.com. You click on that contact and subscription info link, complete our guest form, and we'll get you in the queue. We want to hear your story. What are you passionate about? Yeah, what are your stories about education? And, you know, that's that's a huge part of what we do. It's also a huge part of what um, School Rubric does. We're very lucky to have the Beery to You podcast featured on School Rubric. The mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, and students help tell their story to stakeholders um, so they can make the best choices about enrollment and staffing. So you can learn more about School Rubric at schoolrubric.com and find more great content from educators all over the world. We also are very lucky to be part of the Code Breaker Podcast Network. You can find uh, our podcast on there. You can listen to other great podcasts like the Staff Room Podcast, STEM Every Day, Teachers on Fire, My Ed Tech Life. Please check them out at codebreaker.com. And Andrew, this is the part of the show where Kyle's going to school us a little bit and talk to us about some beer. So love to have you stay around. And then Kyle, what have you got? So I, you know, I had this nice lambic here uh, for my beer tonight, uh, one that I have loved for a very long time. Uh, but again, back in episode 19, we covered the lambic. So if you want to learn more about what the lambic is, you can go back and listen to that episode. But this is one that is a style of lambic called the gyuza. I, I, I may have butchered that. I went to four different websites trying to figure out how to pronounce this. It's a Dutch word. And that is the one that was the most consistent. If um, Giusa, if you slow I, it down, I saw you put a, a pronouncer in the notes, and I still couldn't say it, so I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, so no, it is definitely a tough one to pronounce. Um, but just just a quick recap: Lambics, low ABV sour beers. They're brewed with malted barley and a little bit of unmalted wheat, which we talked about the reason why unmalted wheat may be used. Um, as a flavor profile enhancer there a few episodes ago. Uh, but then it's fermented with wild yeast and bacteria. So the gyuza, it's a blend of aged lambic, ones that are two to three years old, with a younger lambic, which is about a year old. So while a lambic is usually two to three percent ABV, the gyuza will be five to nine percent. And the reason why is that that younger lambic still has fermentable sugars in it. So then when you dump it in and mix it in these barrels that they age it in, the yeast and the bacteria that are there, they have these fermentable sugars, so now they can ferment a little bit more. So you basically get this second fermentation process that ups that ABV, and then it gives it a little bit different flavor profile as well. 
So like a traditional Lambic, they're very cider-like, they're sour, they're dry, highly carbonated. In fact, they're even referred to sometimes as the Brussels champagne because high carbonation and then like I was showing earlier to the live viewers is that the bottle looks like a champagne bottle. Yeah. So and then it was even corked like um, a it wine bottle. Empty. It looks empty to me, Carl. <laughs> oh, it is now because this one's only two and a half percent. So I could sip on this for quite a while. And then to even go even further, the champagne bottles. Some of the early lambics they actually reuse champagne bottles to appeal to champagne drinkers as well. Now, where does this name come from? Giza. There's a couple different theories. One of them, there's an old Norse word, Giza. Or like geyser. I feel like I'm talking like I'm from Boston or something like that. Geyser. So what this was, they used that word to describe how the beer rushed out of the bunghole of the barrel that they were aging them in. So like this beer would come gushing out of it during that secondary fermentation process. But what's more accepted is that there's a street in Brussels. I, I couldn't figure out if it's still there, but... Early, late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a street called Gusenstraat, which basically... Um, translates to um oh now i don't even have it down here so whatever but strat means street apparently so but there was a lambic brewery that was located on that street the brewery reused the champagne bottles added a bit of sugar to bottle condition them and then capped them off with a cork so became kind of popular from the Gusenstrat, but shortened to guza and that's kind of where the the accepted theory where the name came from so there is laws that protects this style of beer so okay. you you talk about a lot of german styles they're only in a certain region and mm -hmm. you, you can't call a beer outside of that that style of beer very similar with this one in lambic so belgian law and eu law protect this and there was a little trouble kind of with the brewery called jester king in texas back in 2016 they made a gyoza that they called method gyoza it was spontaneous fermented beer so very much like the, the Belgian style, but because it wasn't brewed in that region of Belgium, that's when the Belgian authorities say, hey, you can't do that. So they end up coming to an agreement, said, you can make the beer, but you just can't call it Giza. So Jester think King called it Method Traditionnelle. So, but it's like those German styles, like a Kolsch from Germany, you have to call it a Kolsch style right. if you're brewing it somewhere else. So very, very similar with that. Um, so, but much like Lambics, a lot of the same companies make Gusas as well, like Lindemans, like I'm having tonight. Uh, they make one. Boone is another company. And Timmermans is another company, all out of Belgium, that make great Lambics. Um, if you want something a little more punch to it, these Gusas are a good one. So you can find them at good bottle shops and big box uh, liquor retailers. Yeah, I, now i got to go look. That... We definitely haven't talked about that one. So I no, we haven't. So. I have no idea that that was even a thing. I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know the history behind it. So yeah. uh, I've, I've said this 100 times on the show, literally over 100 times now. I always have fun researching these things, and uh, this was a really fun one to look up. Cool. Kyle, I didn't know you had your doctorate in yeah. uh, beer. I, 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 holy so, well, I'll just say I got a master's because I'm not brewing beer myself yet. I'll have the doctor when I start brewing it myself. So, <laughs> no, that was a good one, man. That was cool. Yeah. So, and there's some other styles of lambic that um, when I fell down this rabbit hole that I, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit a look at too. Okay. So, we're probably going to be featuring some of those later on too. Uh, I might have to go buy some this weekend. 
Yep. That, I hear that from you a lot after we do these, so nothing wrong that's with that. So. That's why I have a full-size fridge in my garage. Yes. <laughs> well, that puts a cork on episode 101. Yeah. Andrew, it was amazing having you on. I, I cannot thank you enough. I'll speak for Kyle, too. We cannot thank you enough for being on the show. I, I love the guys. I love the conversation. I'm definitely going to reach out to you. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have you on individually, but this was fun talking yeah. to you here. You guys have a great dynamic of uh, bouncing off each other, really reading each other, too. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And listeners, as always, thank you for your support. Until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. <laughs>